Hi there everyone, I trust that you're well and that you thoroughly enjoyed our previous series on building God's way. We're now starting a new series entitled Eternal Judgment. Let's pray. Father, we pray for revelation. Father, we pray for insight. Father, we pray that you would really teach us and convict us by your Holy Spirit. We ask that whatever you've purposed to accomplish through this series would be accomplished. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In Luke chapter 12, I'm going to read from verses 2 through to 5. It says, There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in daylight. And what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. These are the words of Jesus. And you can see that as he unpacks this, he's emphasizing how great Father God is, how mighty he is in comparison to mankind. You see, in everyday life, we want to know what the rubric is for our exams. You know, when I've marked assignments, some of the people who do the best are the ones who triple check with me how I'm going to mark the work. So we want to know how we'll be assessed and what the relevant rewards and bonuses will be. You know, uh, I remember I was coaching someone a few days ago and I ended up saying to them, you seem to be the kind of person when uh, you were in college, in university doing exams, you would actually ask the lecturer again. After seeing the rubric, you'd still say, what do you expect? What do you expect? Because he kept saying to me, I need to know what the expectations are, Paul. And he confirmed that, that he's that type of person. And people like that tend to do really well. But it interests me how when it comes to life, there's very little interest or research carried out by individuals with regards to eternal judgment. Could it be that we've been focusing on things that are actually not that important from God's perspective? And maybe the things that are important to God, we don't focus on. You know, it's so important to thoroughly examine the teachings of Jesus in scripture, the teachings of the Bible to live our lives in the light of this eternal judgment. It's so crucial. Could it be, could it be that we've been focusing on the wrong things? I remember someone once saying uh, something interesting. I listened to it about 1995, a powerful message I listened to. And he said, the most tragic situation a person can ever find themselves in is to go through life thinking they're on the right side of God, whilst in actual fact, they're on the wrong side of God. It's so important that we thoroughly examine the teachings of the Bible to live our lives in the light of this eternal judgment. In Hebrews 9 verse 27, it states, Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment. <laughs> See, what puts weight on this judgment we're talking about is its eternality. It's eternality. It's one thing to experience pain and often we cope with pain because we know that at some point it will end. But it's another thing when you've just got ongoing pain, chronic pain, and you're wondering, when is it ever going to end? 
So this is such a crucial topic for us to really explore because of its eternality. You see, in life, there is no dress rehearsal. You only have one life. There is no reincarnation. We die once and then comes the judgment. Everyone will be judged. And we don't have to turn there right now, but in Revelation 20, 11 through to 15, judgment is for everyone. Everyone will be judged. And it's essential to be in the Lamb's book of life. You see, it's one thing to do something at work that ends up affecting your year-end bonus slightly. And maybe in another year you can do differently. It's another thing to do things that redirect your eternal destination. And sadly, this whole topic of eternal judgment, it's also an area that's riddled with superstition, fantasy, and unbiblical speculations that people make. And that's because of our biblical illiteracy. So in the next few messages, I'm seeking to demystify eternal judgment, to demystify heaven, to demystify hell, to really unpack these things based on what the word says. In the book of the Revelation, chapter 20, verses 11 through to 15, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it, the earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And books were opened, books plural. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. You know, and we look at this and it is scary. It is also sad because of the finality of it all. But there's also good news there, and that's the Lamb's book of life. So I want to give you a rationale for this study. Why are we doing this? Why are we exploring this topic? Why is it important for us to examine this? Firstly, it's foundational. It's foundational. In Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 through to 2, it says, Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ. Or what are those elementary teachings? And be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of, what are these foundations? Repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God. Instruction about cleansing rites, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. So it's a foundational doctrine. And it's so important that when we want to grow to a place of maturity, we build on this. This passage that I've just read to you from Hebrews 6 shows us that eternal judgment is a foundational doctrine. This means that in the discipleship process, we must be teaching this and grounding believers in their understanding of it. It's so important. Many have become very casual with regards to eternal judgment. And that's one of the reasons we need to teach on this. In Luke chapter 13, verse 27 to 29, it says, but he will reply, I do not know you or where you come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth. 
when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. People will come from the east and west and north and south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. So this is talking about a complacency, a casual mindset we've developed with regards to this eternal judgment. Where we thought we were fine, we were accepted by God, but we didn't actually do what he said we must do. And so we find ourselves not partaking of this feast. So we must talk about eternal judgment as it results in the fear of the Lord. That's one of the third, that's the third reason why we must be addressing this issue. If you look at Acts chapter 24, verse 24 through to 25, it says, Several days later, Felix came with his wife Drusilla, who was Jewish. He sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. As Paul talked about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. Felix was afraid and said, that's enough for now. You may leave. When I find it convenient, I will send for you. So it was no longer convenient for Felix, this political leader, to be listening to Paul. Why? Well, it was convicting, wasn't it? But what did Paul preach about? He preached about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. And you can see the conviction that came through as a result of that. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6 to 8, it says, God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to, those, to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. I find this very interesting because many people just think of gentle Jesus, meek and mild, but they don't have a revelation of him as the ruler of the universe, the creator of the universe and the one who will ultimately be the judge. And I believe that we need to come back to a place of understanding that the person who spoke the most about hell in scripture was actually Jesus. If you just study the gospels and we need to begin to preach these things once again so that people will understand the consequences of rejecting the gospel. And I find it interesting that it didn't just say those who, who disobeyed this teaching and that teaching. It says those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, the good news the fact that he died for us. All of mankind has been called to obey the gospel and their consequences to not doing so. One of the other reasons we want to teach on this subject is eternal judgment is very real. It's very, very real. Hebrews 10 verses 26 through to 30. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. 
very important. This is not something figurative. This is not something symbolic. This is something very real that will happen. You see, <clears throat> another thing we must be aware of is that God is ready to judge. He doesn't struggle with judging as man struggles. You know, we often avoid a situation where we have to judge in a situation. But 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 5 says, But they will have to give account to him who's ready to judge the living and the dead. You know, the name Daniel means the Lord is my judge. Judging is part of his nature. He's good at it. And he is going to do it. God is good at judging and he keeps rescuing us. And that's the good news. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, it says, If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. So there are two major things taking place. We are being preserved, those of us who are in Christ Jesus, we're being preserved from punishment on the day of judgment. But those who are unrighteous, those who have not actually accepted the gift, the gift of God, right, who's Christ Jesus, his death, his burial, his resurrection, if we have not allowed his righteousness to be imputed on us, then we are being preserved for punishment on the day of judgment. You see, so the thing to understand is that God is coming with both wrath and rewards. And I remember sharing this with some people and one person said, for me, uh, maybe we can just skip the day of judgment. I just want to focus on the heaven part. When you teach on heaven, yeah, I think I want to focus on that. And I said, well, the day of judgment isn't all negative. There's a mixture there because he comes with his wrath, but he also comes with rewards. In Revelation 11, 18, it says, The nations were angry and your wrath has come. The time has come for judging the dead and for rewarding your servants, the prophets, and your people who revere your name, both great and small, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. So these are two major things taking place. Jesus is coming to bring fullness of salvation and not just judgment. Again, it's important to emphasize that. In Hebrews chapter 9, 28, it says, So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. That fullness of salvation. Remember when it comes to our salvation, yes, we've received Christ into our lives. We go through a sanctification process, but there's also the fullness of salvation with regards to the salvation of our physical bodies also. Right? Where we get new bodies. We get our resurrection bodies, which I think is, is going to be awesome. So the time of judgment is not all scary and negative because it's also a time of salvation and rewards. In Romans chapter 2, verses 5 through to 10. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath. When his righteous judgment will be revealed, God will repay each person according to what they have done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. Verse 9, 
There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. I trust that you are all uh, full of expectation in terms of some of the things that we're going to speak about. So who is the judge? Who's the judge? Well, the scripture shows us that God is the judge of all. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 22 to 24, it says, But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous, made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So God is the judge of all. But what's interesting is that within the Trinity, God vested his judgment in Jesus. If you look at John chapter 5, 22 to 23, it says, Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. And we know that there are many cults today and people today who don't believe in the Trinity and who don't believe that Jesus is God, right? But here you can see from the scripture, right, that the reason for this is that honor may go to the Son just as it goes to the Father. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, it says, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. You see, when we commission people, it's important to do so in the light of eternal judgment. I'm commissioning you, but I'm doing it before Jesus, in front of Jesus, who's the judge of the living and the dead. Accountability is crucial. And Paul here was actually charging Timothy to preach the word in season and out of season. And he says, because the time is coming when people have itchy ears and will want to just listen to whatever they want to listen to. So I charge you, but I charge you before Jesus Christ, who's the judge of the living and the dead. So Jesus is the judge. The next thing we need to address, of course, is by what standard will we be judged? By what standard will we be judged? And it's very clear in scripture. The word is the standard of judgment. The word is the marking rubric. And what's nice about it is it's an open book exam, isn't it? Okay, we can actually, as we go through life, look in the word to see what the answers are. Seek counsel from others who know the word In John chapter 12, verse 48, it says, There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words I have spoken will condemn them at that last day. Sadly, some people are rejecting the words of Jesus today. Some say his words are old covenant and the apostle Paul's words are the real words to listen to. Be careful of this because it is contrary to what the scripture actually reads. In Hebrews 4 verse 12, it says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates 
even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. And then watch this. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. This is so important for us to understand. You know, sometimes we have made the standard, our cultural norms, our personal preferences, our personality. This is how I'm wired, so it's okay for me to do this. This is how I grew up and how I was raised, so it's okay. But is it in line with the words of Jesus? Think of how we often judge people based on an industry standard or what's in, right? Or a headmaster's bias or the school's culture. If you want to understand a specific culture, one of the things to look at is what is considered to be a gross sin here? What is considered to be a complete no-no? And sadly, some of these things are actually based on man's perspective, aren't they? It's something that God doesn't actually have an issue with. And then very often the things that our culture doesn't have an issue with, God has an issue with. Too many people call good evil and evil good. The standard has to be the words of Jesus. Sometimes people like to put weights and burdens on others, yet Jesus hasn't done so. He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And you know, when people are very passionate about putting weights on me or on others, I like to ask the question, what verse says that? Can you just show me the verse in the Bible? Because some people are very relaxed about what the Bible says, but when it comes to their personal preferences, they are extremely enthusiastic. It's almost like a demon is about to manifest because you haven't done what they think is the right thing to do. So my question to you is, how have you responded to the words of Jesus? Have you studied the words of Jesus to see what the rubric is? Because that's the standard we've been given. The next question I want to ask, and I'm going to spend the rest of this message really unpacking this question. What does the Bible say about the nature of eternal judgment? What does the Bible actually say about the nature of eternal judgment? The first thing is that eternal judgment will be carried out in truth. And when the Bible speaks of how it will be carried out in truth, it's speaking of fairness. So when God judges us, we won't be able to say, no, I disagree with that. No, no, you're wrong there. Right? We will see God in His holiness and we will have a recognition and appreciation of our depravity and we will know that His judgments are righteous. In Romans chapter 2, verses 1 to 2, it says, You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now, we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. And it's interesting because this is the beginning of Romans 2. And if you study Romans chapter 1, verses 21 through to 31, you actually see a list of the things that Paul was actually referring to. I mean, it ranges from sexual perversion to arrogance, gossip, slander, insolence, um, disobedience to parents, all of those things. And then Romans 2 needs to be seen in that context. God will judge in truth. The second thing we need to understand is that we'll be judged for our deeds. We'll be judged for our deeds. In Romans 2, 5 to 6, it says, But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath. When His righteous judgment will be revealed... 
God will repay each person according to what they've done. So what we have done is important in terms of judgment. It will be looked at in terms of judgment. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 14, it says, For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. So the judgment will be based on the quality of our work, which is not always obvious today. And sometimes it's only tested later on. For example, you will see how effective your parenting has been when your kids become self-regulated adults. You don't always see it from the get-go. Current compliance by children is not a measure of effective parenting because maybe they're just complying because they're afraid of you, because they're afraid of punishment. But the moment they end up leaving the house, everything might change. All right. Some of the wounds that children experience today, how they're being wounded by parents in very subtle ways, we only see it when they've grown up. So we mustn't judge prematurely. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 13 to 15, it says, Their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. In 2 Corinthians 5, 9-10, it says, So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. In other words, whether we are alive physically in our bodies or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Now, what's the judgment seat of Christ? It's where we as saints, right, will be judged concerning our works and the quality of our works will be seen, right? This is not the same as the white throne judgment. And I'm going to talk next week about the different judgments. There are about seven of them or eight of them, different judgments, Okay, there's the judgment of the saints, the judgment seat of Christ. There's the white throne judgment. There's the judgment of nations. We're going to unpack all of that. So judgment will be for things done whilst in the body. You can't be prayed for afterwards. You know, uh, the Roman Catholic doctrine, uh, there's a Roman Catholic, Catholic, uh, Catholic doctrine called purgatory where they believe that it's a place where at the moment people die, the spirits of dead people go and they suffer for the evil acts that they've done while they were alive before they're able to go to heaven. And if you've got good friends who pray for you, right, uh, while you're in purgatory, it can help to fast track that process, etc. Right? Now you have to hope that you've got really good friends. But the point I'm making is there's none of that in scripture. Okay, that's not going to happen, Right. Uh, the judgment that we are talking about here is for things done whilst in the body. And it's not going to be changed based on people now praying for you, praying for the dead. You know, that's not scriptural, right? Um, <clears throat> the third principle we get in scripture concerning eternal judgment is that we will be judged for our words. In Matthew chapter 12, verses 36 to 37, it says, But I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. That word empty is the word idle or useless, right? For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. 
The word empty here speaks of useless words, careless words spoken. We need to be careful what we say. And Jesus would experience this from the Pharisees. They could just get up one day and just say, are you casting out demons by Beelzebub, right? You're casting out demons by Satan, right? They had to give an account for that. Because sometimes we say things for effect. Sometimes we say things to manipulate or intimidate. Sometimes we say things because we're feeling angry, but we haven't thought through it. Think of the number of times you, in an argument, in the reconciliation process, you end up saying, I didn't really mean what I said. I said it because I was angry. Well, we're going to have to give an account of every empty word that we spoke. You see, your words can justify you. That's why the Bible tells us, Jesus himself says, with the same measure you judge, you will be judged. And sometimes we make lots of judgments in jest. The fourth thing is that we will be judged for our thoughts. I've got a screensaver. My screensaver on my computer basically says you're as spiritual as your thoughts. Sometimes we like to measure our spirituality based just on our deeds and our words and the things that people can see. But the Bible tells us it's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks and that God actually examines our minds, examines our thoughts in order to actually judge. That's what scripture tells us. So in Romans 2 verse 16, it says, this will take place on the day when God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. What are your secrets? They will be judged. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, Therefore judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. We'll be judged based on the motives of our hearts. You can have two people doing exactly the same thing, but when motives are not God-honoring, we'll be judged based on that. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. The honor you receive from God will not just be based on what you did, but the driving force behind what you did. We need to study how God judges so that we can learn so much from Him. Our tendency is to judge things prematurely, isn't it? But God waits. Okay, we'll see. We will see. We'll see the quality. We'll see how this thing will end. We must learn how to suspend judgment because we don't always know what's going on in people's hearts. Sometimes we're too quick to judge. The fifth thing I want to share with you is that we'll be judged according to the light we have received. In Romans chapter 1, 18 to 20, it says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godliness, godlessness, and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. So the truth is there, but it's being suppressed. And at a certain point, our consciences are seared, aren't they? Verse 19, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. There's no excuse because God has revealed himself to us. He's made it plain. And what we've learned is that there are degrees of judgment. There are degrees of judgment. If you look at Matthew chapter 11, verse 22, it says, But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. Why? Because of the light of revelation you had. Because I came to you, you saw me in the flesh, yet you rejected me. 
right? And we'll talk a bit more about that next week when I unpack the judgment of cities and the judgment of nations, right? But the fact that Jesus is saying it will be more bearable for certain places than for other places shows that there are degrees of judgment, okay? Bible also says elsewhere that those who sin knowingly, when you do the thing that you knew you shouldn't have done, right? Uh, the judgment for that is worse than the person who actually didn't know, who was in ignorance, right? There's still judgment that's there, but it's not as bad as someone who knowingly does a particular thing. So those of you who are very knowledgeable, just be aware of the expectation. The sixth thing I want to share with you is that eternal judgment will occur on a specific day and time. This means that for now, we might see mixture in various environments. This is so important to understand. Some people are like, but I saw this person and they're in church and they're doing this. Or I saw this person doing that and they're a preacher. What's going on? Why does God allow it? How come the person has survived all this time? Okay, the final judgment has not been made yet. That's why we've got certain people in society who are guilty of heinous crimes, but they're still, you know, out on bail, walking around, all sorts of things, until the day they're actually sentenced, right? And then sent into prison. <clears throat> you might assume that someone is literally getting away with murder, but at the appointed time, judgment will occur. Today, someone may have a good lawyer, but we are all ultimately accountable to God and judgment will take place. And this can be comforting to those who are victims of certain types of crimes where they're thinking there's no justice in society. There's no justice. The legal system is not working, right? The judicial system, system is not working. Well, I'll tell you what, it's ultimately accountable to the ultimate judge and the ultimate lawgiver. You see, what's sad in society today is uh, there's a lot of humanism where we've made man the center. And we've rejected the fact that Jesus is our lawgiver. God is our lawgiver. God is our judge. And we've become our own lawgivers. We've created our own laws. You know, this is now okay. This is fine. No, I actually think society has moved on and it's okay to now do this. We've made up our own laws and we've made up our own um judicial system in terms of what's punishable and what's not punishable and we've moved away from the things of God but he's the judge ultimately and we're ultimately all accountable to him even those judges in the court of law today even where there's a lot of bribery and corruption in the legal system today Matthew 13 verse 30 and then I'm also going to read verse 40 to 43 and then verse 49 and 50. It says, let both grow together until the harvest. In other words, the good stuff and the bad stuff. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. Isn't it interesting? You can be an evildoer, right? All who do evil. And then there are also things that cause sin. That's interesting. Verse 42, they will throw them into the blazing furnace where they will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. This is how it will be at the end of the age. 
The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's interesting the order in which some of these things will happen, you know, because some people will emphasize how the righteous will be taken away. But when you look at scriptures like this, it's talking about how the unrighteous are the ones who are going to be weeded out of the system and the righteous remain and uh, rule and reign in Christ's kingdom. Okay, so it's so important to take all of scripture into con- in context as we are studying these scriptures to actually see how these things will take place. In Matthew chapter 3 verse 12 it says his winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire that's massive Matthew 7 22 to 23 many will say to me on that day Lord Lord did we not prophesy in your name And in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. So we are talking about people, charismaniacs, right? People who are in our circles doing amazing things for God, apparently. But Jesus can say, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. We need to look at that rubric We need to look at the marking rubric because just because you're casting out demons doesn't mean that Jesus knows you. See, many people are conceited thinking there is no judgment because they haven't yet seen the consequences of their negative behavior. Someone once said that the most tragic situation a person can find themselves in is to go through life thinking that they're on the right side of God. Well, in actual fact, they're on the wrong side of God. See, it's one thing to be on God's wrong side and know that you're on his wrong side it's quite another thing to think you're on the right side of God but you're just conning yourself in Acts 17 verse 31 it says for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed he has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead it will happen on a specific day okay The seventh thing I want to share with you is that no one knows when the day of judgment will actually occur. And this is so important. It's so plainly written in scripture, but unfortunately people keep coming up with this, I just feel like it's this year, or I just feel it's now, or I just think it's this such and such year. Why do we keep doing that? Why do we keep doing that? That's deception. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, and then I'm going to also read from verse 10 to 12. It says, by the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. A thief doesn't announce to say, okay, guys, next Thursday, we're going to be burgling, we're going to be coming in and we're going to uh, actually invade your estate or wherever you stay, right? We're coming and uh, probably 7.05, you know, that's when we're coming in. So we just wanted to let you guys know. A thief doesn't do that. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? See, that's what this is all about. 
because of this day of judgment, because of our understanding of eternal judgment, we end up living lives that are driven by eternity. We end up living lives that are from the vantage point of eternal judgment, where we are completely accountable to the Lord. And that's how the fear of the Lord returns in society to a large extent. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. Our responsibility is to allow this knowledge that we have of eternal judgment to affect our lifestyle and for us to grow in the fear of the Lord. How then shall we live? How then shall we live in the fear of the Lord? Next week, I'll be going in detail looking at the different judgments, the different judgments in Scripture. We'll also go on subsequently to talk about heaven and we'll also talk about hell, okay, in subsequent weeks. But it's important that we unpack all of these things. Amen. God bless you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this message. And I pray, Father God, that everyone who's heard it, everyone who's listened to it, would hear it with the correct balance by your spirit, that you would continue to teach your people with regards to eternal judgment. Father, may we function in the fear of the Lord. May we function in true belief, Lord, that you will rescue us from this, from this wrath and from this judgment, Lord, as we receive Christ in our lives. Father, we want to thank you so much that your son, experience judgment on our behalf on Calvary and that because of that we can anticipate the fullness of salvation. We thank you for this Lord. God may you equip us, may you grace us to preach the good news so that others may receive it. In Jesus name we pray. God bless you.